0: Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. And the leader's responsibility to the congregation and the congregation's responsibility to the leader's. What we could do is we could take this section of Scripture and we could pull it from its context and I could say something very different to you tonight than I'm going to say to you. But because we have spent over a year, I think we are at, if I'm not mistaken, we're at like 84 messages in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Because we spent that long, it would be difficult for me to pull the wool over your eyes, so to speak. So, Let's read the text, and we will break apart what the text says. We'll unpack what the author is saying to us. In verse number 17 of chapter number 13, the author writes, to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Obey them that have rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give an account that they may do it with joy, And not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. But I beseech you, the rather, to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus that good shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in few words. Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. Salute all them that have the rule over you, and all the saints. They of Italy salute you. Grace be with you. Amen. The author here, specifically in verses 17 and verse 18, gives us an explanation of how we are supposed to to see one another in the structure of the church. In him closing out the book, he thought it necessary to make sure that we understand the structure of the assembly. And if we remember back through the last couple chapters, we can gather why this was important. If we go back to chapter number 10, you'll remember that he tells us that we need each other. That we need to pray for one another that we need to assemble together. Don't forsake assembling together because we need that. And he explains to us why we need it, because we're all running a race and there's some of us that grow weary and we need to be able and willing to pick up those around us who are weary and to carry them forward. And if you miss what I'm saying, if you remember this morning, we heard James say the same thing. We are here to pray, to encourage, to help one another. And in all of this, the author shows us here in verse 17 how this happens. And what he does is he breaks apart the roles, so to speak, in the church. He says in verse number 17, Obey them that have rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for this is unprofitable for you. So the author here is speaking to the congregation of people and he's saying, guys, I need you to do something for me. I need you to obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves to them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break this apart, and first I want to look at the understanding of the role of the leaders in the church, and then I want to look at the understanding, so to speak, of the role of the assembly of the church, and then I want to look at the role of all of us together. And we'll see that in verse 17 and 18, and then everyone together will get a grasp of that throughout the rest of the chapter. What the author does here, first of all, is he speaks to the congregation and he says, obey them, but he tells us who we're obeying. He says, obey them that have rule over you. So if you see that in verse number 17, he says, them that have rule over you. He also describes them as them which watch for your souls and he also describes them as them which must give an account. So we have this, this threefold description of the leaders, if you will, in the church. They are ruling over, they are watching for souls, and they must give an account. So to understand this role of leaders, we need to understand those three pieces. So first of all, he says, them that have the rule of, over you. And if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll read ourselves into this text and we will see ourselves as sitting in the congregation and we will see in our minds someone who is standing before us with the title of pastor or elder or bishop or overseer. And we will thank the author, saying, I want you to listen to everything that that man says. Listen to everything that he tells you to do. If he says something, then that is the truth. You need to submit yourselves to your pastor. You need to submit yourself to what your pastor says. You need to submit yourself even to the desires of your pastor. But unfortunately, that's not what the author is telling the congregation to do. When he says to submit themselves or to obey them that have rule over you, When he uses the word for rule, he is not talking about people who have a higher position. Rather, he's talking about people who have been gifted. The word rule, if you were to look up in a concordance or on any Bible app, you would find out that the word rule over you is found almost 50 times in the New Testament but this is the only place where it is translated rule over. If you were to look through the scriptures, you're going to see this word translated as consider or count. One way that we could describe it is think about intently. So when we're looking at these people, we're looking at people who are considering you, who are counting you, not physically, numerically counting like I do sitting in the back every Sunday morning, but counting what you need, looking at you and taking account of your spiritual welfare, welfare. Again, the word means to think about intently. So what the author is giving us here is someone who, when he says has rule over you, he's saying someone who considers your spiritual welfare someone who is counting or taking account of your spiritual welfare, or someone who is thinking intently about your spiritual welfare. In the terms of elder, that's the office. In the terms of deacon, the other office that the church has been given, it's someone who considers the physical needs of those in the congregation, someone who is accounting of the Physical needs in the congregation, and someone who is thinking intently on the physical needs of the congregation. So, we have this group of people that have been gifted. The assembly themselves and the other gifted people in the church have sought these people out and said, These men, and in some cases, these women, not for the office but in the gifting, and hopefully, you understand what I'm saying when I say that that these people have a specific gifting. What we would say is this person is gifted to serve. This person is gifted to teach. This person is gifted in this variety of different ways. There are people who have different giftings and the church here has called these people out. If we read through the book of Timothy, to read through the book of Titus, we see Paul calling the churches there to identify these people who are gifted and to put them in places in the church. He tells the church, he says, you've been given some pastors, some teachers. He goes on and lists different giftings the church has been given for its own edification, And he says, I want you to identify these. I want you to stir up the gift in them, and I want you to call them out to build up the body. Not to make this a message about the roles of elders and deacons, but that is what they're called to do. They're called to build up the body. We are looking for the needs of one another, but God tells us that he has given to the church specific people, specific men to fill the offices, but specific people that have been gifted to do specific things. And he's telling them, I want you to obey them that have rule over you. He said, there's going to be people in your assembly that think about your spiritual needs intently, that think about your physical needs intently. And I want you to pay attention to who these people are. Specifically here, the author is talking about the elders of the church. Why do we know this? Because he tells us that. He says, they have rule over you. And he says, why? why do we know they have rule over us? Why do we know they're the ones who are thinking about intently? Why do we, how are we able to identify these people? He says, they watch for your souls. Yeah. The word watch here means to keep on behalf of. It means to be alert and not asleep. If you remember back to the account where Jesus takes his disciples into the garden, he says, what? He says, watch and pray. And he comes back and he's mildly upset with his disciples. Why? Because they are what? They're asleep. When he says watch, he was telling them, I want you to stay awake and pray. And he comes back and they are sleeping and not praying. That's what this word watch means. It means someone who is awake, who is alert, who is keeping on behalf of. What we've been given here in these watchers of souls is a figurative picture of one who is spiritually alert, who is spiritually wide awake and is spiritually ready to give spiritual help and spiritual instruction. So we have these groups of leaders who are watching for souls. You look at them and you know that these people have your spiritual welfare at the forefront of their mind. You know that there's a group of people that when you have trouble spiritually, when you have issues spiritually, they have you in mind. You can go to them with confidence, and we'll get into that, but again, if we're thinking back to the book of James, who does he, he, says, he says, if any of you lack faith, who are we calling? He says, call the elders, because they're the ones that are keeping on your behalf. When you call them, they already know that you're in trouble. They already have seen that you're having problems, and odds are they have already made efforts to help fix those problems that you have. You need to identify your problems. But odds are, because they have been given to the church, they are already alert concerning your spiritual condition. The author here also gives us a third way that we can understand who these people are. And he says, they must give an account Again, when we when we read this and glaze over, we automatically think that they're going to be the ones who are responsible for someone at the judgment seat. But that's not what the author is saying here either. The author is saying it here is they have made themselves responsible for your well being. They are giving an account of you not to someone else, but to themselves. Yeah. They have taken responsibility for you to themselves. And hopefully I'm drawing a picture of who these people are. They are considering you. They're spiritually intent. They're spiritually thinking about what you need. They're alert to your spiritual condition. And they have made themselves responsible for your spiritual well-being. So we see this group of people, or I hope we do, that we do, We understand this role of leaders. What is the role of those others in the church? Again, verse 17, we can see this responsibility of these roles. Verse 17, he says, obey them. Again, not to overemphasize this point, but we could read that and we could take it the wrong way. But the word obey here means to be convinced or persuaded of. It does not mean obedience in the sense that a dog obeys their master. But the way that we could say it is I want you to trust those who have leadership over you. Trust those who have your spiritual well-being in mind. Another way is have confidence in those people who have your spiritual well-being, who have confidence in those ones that they're, they're spiritually looking out for you. This makes sense in the context because he's already told us who we are in this book. He's already told us what we're doing, and he's saying have confidence in the system that God has given you. Again, if we were to take this, we could make it say something else. And I'm trying not to be as blunt as I'm wanting to be, but the church that God has given, it's not an army with ranks. It's a family. We're gathered together as the family of God. If you read throughout the New Testament, you will see Paul again and again and again call the church the household of God. Yes, we're not looking at this text, ranking ourselves here, 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 and here. We're not figuring out who the generals are and who the captains are and where all these people lie in a ranking and figure out who were to obey first and second and third. We're not trying to give some kind of hierarchical structure because we're not in a business, we're not in the military, we're in a family. And in that same way, if we look at the family structure, we are given this idea of submission and love in the family. So it makes sense that God modeling the church and modeling himself models that in the church as well. There are many who come into leadership in the church through one way or another that have no concern for the flock, but they have a lot of concern for the amount of power that they have. You'll hear in their tone and in their tenor stuff like, you better listen to what I'm saying. You better do what I'm saying. You better follow what I'm saying. But that's not the type of people that the author was talking about. As a matter of fact, one author said in his comments on this verse that such leaders, the ones who use their their position for power to try and hedge out who the boss is, that they have no deserving of reverence or confidence. Basically, what the author was saying there is he said, if you run into someone who has put themselves up in a position of a leader, And they are using that position to wield power, to beat the flock, to whip, browbeat, however you want to think about it. If they're using their position to try and make you do something, to try and bind your conscience, you should not revere them. You should have no confidence in them and you should not listen to them. If I were to get up in front of you and tell you a list of things that you need to be doing in order to be accepted before God, do not listen to me, do not have any reverence for me, and do not have any confidence in what I'm saying because I'm wrong. Right. According to the scriptures, we have been given a group of people in the church that are gifted to do specific things, but those things are not to wield power. Right. They're to model God as a father to his children. Yes. They are to be shepherds. Yes. If you if you if you stop and you think about it, all throughout the New Testament, the language that is used for Christ is father, shepherd. There's not any type of language that sets him up in some type of way to lord over. He is the Lord over. Yes. But he does not take that position of being lord over to lord over. He calls us to himself. He calls us to a better thing. So we are called in this scripture to have confidence in those who have our spiritual well-being in mind. And we know those who have our spiritual well-being in mind because they have taken on themselves responsibility for us and are pointing us to Christ. And please don't miss that part of what I said. They have taken responsibility on themselves. If you're hurting spiritually, then they have taken and made themselves responsible for your spiritual hurt. And that's not something that we see reflected a lot of times in leadership in the church. You don't see someone who has taken upon themselves responsibility for hurt. We see those who are, to be blunt, ready to kick the ones who are hurt out. And that's not the type of leadership that we're saying here. Again, I apologize if I'm getting off track, but this is talking about a very specific group of people. So we're to have confidence in them. And we can have confidence because of who they are and the gifting that they have. He also says not only to obey, but he says submit. The word submit here means to yield or defer Basically, we submit to these leaders, not because of some perverted chain of command, but because we know they love us and are watching out for us. We are yielding to them. We are willing to yield ourselves, to defer to them, because we know they're watching out for us. Again, my children are going to be a lot More obedient if they know what I'm telling them is something that is watching out for them. It's going to be easier for my children to be obedient about not playing in the road if they know why they're not supposed to play in the road. Not just because I'm wanting to be dad and rule over them, but because I'm looking out for their well being. And in that same way, that's what these leaders are doing. This word submit, one place that we can find this used in practical ways, is in 1 Peter chapter number 5. Peter says that the younger are to submit themselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed in humility. This submission isn't just to those who are in leadership in the church, but we're submitting, we're deferring, we're yielding all of us one to another. Again, hopefully you're hearing James echoing in this book. We are helping one another. We're yielding to one another. We're carrying one another. And the author of Hebrews has said that multiple times as we've read down through these chapters. He says, I want you to submit or yield to these same people that are watching out for us because we know that they love us. A teacher should teach us to submit to God, not to himself. And that's one of the keys, one of the ways that we distinguish who these people are, is we are pointing people to someone outside of us and outside of the ones who stand before us, to the one who has done everything for us and the one who we know has our best interest. In mind. The one who we read about in chapter number 12, who disciplines us not for his pleasure, but for our profit. Yes. He says, submit yourselves. And he tells us here's the reason why. He says, because if you do not submit yourselves, it is unprofitable for you. Remember back with me to chapter number 13 not that long ago, and verse number 7. In chapter number 13 and verse number 7, the author calls us to remember those who have gone on before us. And again, if you remember back to that sermon, you'll remember that we were called to remember. He tells us to remember and then he tells us not to forget. So we have this call to remember what's been said by those who have gone on before us. But in this verse, we're called to yield to those who are before us. We're remembering those who have had influences in our lives that have gone on. But we're not yielding to them in what they said because they're not here. Again, I'm not discounting who those people are because God has used them But God did not just use people for a particular time in our life and take them away to leave us to fend for ourselves. God has given us through the church people that we can yield to throughout our whole lives. People who are watching out for us throughout our whole lives. We've never been left for ourselves. We've never been left to fend for ourselves. God has given us people. Yes. He says, "It is if you don't do this, it's not profitable. What benefit is it for us to hinder the process that God has given us? To kind of, to kind of put this, I guess, in, in plain terms, what the author is saying is God has given us a system. God has given us people that look out for us. If God has given us people that look out for us, it would make sense for us to yield ourselves to their looking out for us. It would make sense for us to basically to consider their considering us. And if we don't do that, it would be unprofitable. If there were some, and I know probably somebody's, there are movies that come to mind where you have these big clock towers and somebody sticks a wrench in one of the gears and the clock stops, usually to save somebody because they're dangling on a line and when the clock gets to 12, it's going to cut the line, they're going to fall off the building, something along those lines. But somebody takes and they stick a wrench in the gears. Well, in that scene, it's a great thing because the person's saved. But if you were to go to any clock tower that doesn't have a person hanging from it for life, it would be unprofitable. It would be no good. It would make no sense for us to take something and shove it in the gears of the clock. Right? right, right. That's what the author's saying. He's saying, You I'm showing you how the clock works. Yeah. If you stick a wrench in the gears of the clock. It's not going to be profitable for you. You're not going to get help out of what God has given you if you're gumming up the process. So the author calls us to look to these people, to trust them, to have confidence in them, to yield to them, to defer to them, because they're pointing us to someone that we need. Just like the author said, Look to Jesus. You have men who have been called to point you to Jesus. Trust them. If they're not pointing you to Jesus, do not trust them. If they are pointing you to Jesus, have confidence in them so long as they point you to Jesus. And if they get to the point that they don't point you to Jesus, then consider them like the dead leaders and remember them, but don't yield to them. Verse 18 through the remainder of the chapter, he gives all of the groups, something to do. Verse 18, he says, pray for us. For we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. The responsibility of all of us is that we pray for one another and that we act towards one another in a good conscience. Basically, we pray for one another and we do what is best for one another. We don't do for one another what will get us ahead. We don't do for one another what will raise us up in the ranks. We don't do for one another what will get us more power. But with a good conscience, we do what is best for one another, and we pray for one another. Again, you can hear the echoes of James in this text because the author here is telling this community to do the same thing that James has told his community to do. He says in verse 19, But I beseech you rather to do this, that I may be restored unto you. The sooner. The author here is saying, I want you to do all these things because I'm not with you. I don't don't see all what's going on. The Apostle Paul in the book of Thessalonians, and if we understand the history of the book of Thessalonians, which is found in Acts chapter number 21, we can understand why Paul says this. Paul says in the book of 1 Thessalonians that he feels like a father whose children have been orphaned. The book of Acts tells us that Paul goes into Thessalonica, that he sees people converted, and he spends about three or four weeks there before he is run out of town. the book of Thessalonians, we can understand how, if Paul has been run out of town from people that have been recently converted, how he would feel like a father who has been orphaned from his children. In Thessalonians, he sends Timothy in. We read that in the book of Acts. He sends Timothy in because Timothy wasn't run out, just Paul. He sends Timothy in to do the work for him. And in a sense, he has written this letter because he cannot be there for this group of people. And he says, I want you to do these things. He says, I beseech you. I beg you to do these things that I may be restored to you the sooner. He says, I want to get back to you. I love you. I want the best for you. So please do these things that I've told you to do. This whole book, everything that we've read, everything that we went through can be summed up Pretty simply in looking to Christ. That's, that's a pretty practical way to understand what we are to do. We're to look to Christ. There are a lot of ways that we do this, a lot of things that can hinder us from doing this, and a lot of things that help our understanding of how we do this. But the author has told them, I want you to look to Christ. He says, please, please do this. I want to come back to you. And then he finishes out the book like this. He says, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. So he gives us a ton of theology right before saying goodbye. He says, the God of peace, the one who has made a way to make peace with you, the God who is no longer at war with you, the God of peace. How did he make peace? He brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ. Who does does the author say that Jesus Christ is? The great, the great, The great what? The great shepherd of the sheep. How did he do it? Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. So we're getting all of chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 shoved in this verse. Why did he do this? Make you perfect in every good work to do his will. So we've got the theology. Now we've got the what you do with it. The practicality. He's made you perfect. To do every good work according to his will. And he's working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. Not only has he done this for you and made you perfect to do it, he's doing it in you. The author is giving them this confidence that they can continue on because Jesus is better. He says, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then in a short conclusion, verse 22, I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in a few words. Real quickly, there is some debate on who the author of Hebrews is. What some believe that this verse is talking about They believe that this book was very likely dictated to someone. And the person to whom is dictating this letter says, I have also written you a short letter to go with this. That being said, we don't know who the author is. What we do know is that the author says, I wrote a short letter to go with this letter, indicating that, again, he dictated it to someone the structure of the book of Hebrews is almost identical to the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Most likely, this book was told what to say by, to, the, to Luke, the physician. Most likely, Luke wrote down these words, but we don't know who told him to write them down. And I'll leave you with that as far as the author of Hebrews goes. We don't know but we're pretty sure that Luke wrote down the book and that whoever sent this book wrote a little note with it. Verse 23, know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty with whom if he comes shortly, I will see you. So we know whoever wrote this book, Timothy was likely with them and Timothy was going to bring this letter to them. He has been set free. I don't know where he was or what kind of bondage he was under but he's been set at liberty and the author of this book says that he hopes that he can come with timothy when he delivers the letter salute them that have the rule over you and all the saints so those who read this letter Salute those who have confidence, who have, who have your best interest in sight. All those who are in Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Again, this is the close of the book of Hebrews. The author here, through these last couple chapters, has given us a lot of practical information. He's given us a lot of things that we can grab onto, a lot of understanding. He's made his case Oh my, Jesus is better. And the call to this group of people and the call to us is the same. Just keep looking at Christ. God's given us a way to see him. He's put people in our lives that help us see him. He's given us the responsibility to show other people him. But the primary person of the book of Hebrews is Jesus. That's who we're called to see. So if we walk away from Hebrews with anything else than that, when we've missed the point. Because the author of Hebrews has again and again and again and again and again told us that Jesus is better, that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is worthy of your worship and your confidence. So with the people that this book was written to. Let's leave the book of Hebrews with confidence, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray.